Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Friday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church. So glad you're joining us. And as I tell you every Friday, you probably get tired of hearing me say this. It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. And so I look forward to worshiping with you on Sunday. I hope that you come on and join us at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock at Hickory Ridge Community Church. We are located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Come on down and worship with us. We'll make you feel right at home, and I hope that you consider joining us this weekend. Well, today on this Friday broadcast, I want to talk to you on the subject of what impresses you. What impresses you? Yeah, think about that. What impresses me the most? Is it technology? Is it creation? Uh, Is it family? Is it all the accomplishments that we see made? Is it beauty? Is it age? Is it talent? Success? I know some people that are most impressed with themselves. Well, how do we even begin to honestly answer this question? Well, it reminds me of a funny little story of a visiting speaker, and uh, he was impressed by the enthusiasm of their Christian school students, and as he got ready to speak to the students, he showed that they were so enthusiastic about physical education in their class, and he says to them as he began his speech, and he said, I exercise too. He sighed faintly, smiling at the pastor. He says, every morning I awaken to the alarm. I jump from my bed and I run around the block six times. As the pastor expressed surprise looking at this guy who didn't look like he exercised too much, but he said he walked around the block six times, the man hardly continued. He says, after I rock around the block six times, I kick the block under the bed and I go back to sleep. Well, I thought that was pretty funny. And many of us, maybe that's how we exercise every morning. We go around the block and kick the block under the bed and get back into the bed. Well, maybe this will help you to understand this whole subject of what impresses you the most. How can I discover what impresses me the most? Well, I think it is what you think most about. What you spend most of your time doing? Where you spend most of your money? Where you put most of your energy? That is what is most important to you. Dr. Paul Tripp said this, A Christ-centered life means that a person is motivated for everything we think, say, or do. Many of us leave little room for Christ in our Christianity. By that I mean that our ability to quote-unquote keep the law or our pride in our historic tradition is what defines our faith, not the person of Jesus Christ. Is your Christianity intimate and personal? Do you want to know Christ? Do you want to be part of His work? Do you want to please Him? Do you want to incarnate His character? A Christ-centered life is deeply intimate and motivated by relationship. So here are some helpful ways that I have found that can help me to keep Christ the center of my life. Here's the first thing. Remember the builder. You know, construction workers will transform piles of wood into walls of the house. They will do this by following the builder's plan. In Hebrews 3, 4, it says, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Years ago, there was a master violinist in Europe. He would play in concerts, and he had this magnificent Stradivarius violin, extremely expensive, He would play that Stradivarius violin in a concert, and everyone in the crowd would whisper, listen to that beautiful sound. 
the sounds of that Stradivarius. He would play it in churches and in synagogues, and people would say, listen to the beautiful sounds of that Stradivarius. He even played it before kings and queens, and they too would turn to one another and say, look to the beautiful sounds of the Stradivarius. All the glory went to the instrument. Then one day, this master violinist was walking along, and he walked to a pawn shop. He noticed in this particular pawn shop an old, beat-up, worn-out violin. He walked up to the pawn shop, and he asked, well, how much would it cost? The owner of the pawn shop took the American equivalent of $5, and he bought the violin. He took it home. He polished it. He refined it. He tuned it. And then he began to play it. As he played that violin in concert halls, and he played it wherever he went, people would say the same thing. Listen to the beautiful sounds of the Stradivarius. They forgot that the sound and the effect of that particular instrument was not a Stradivarius. The music came from the master. As I think about our lives, so many times we are glory stealers. God uses us to do something great, and we say, well, look what I've done. I remember one time I was at a conference, and as we got through that conference, I was talking to the pastors that had spoken, and one of the pastors said to one of the guys who was speaking, my, you did an amazing job. You were so filled with energy. And this pastor said in response, I know a lot of people have been telling me that. That kind of just rubbed me the wrong way. He had forgotten who the builder was. Remember the builder. Number two, seek knowledge. Ask God to give you wisdom and understanding in all of your relationships and all of your decisions. In Colossians 1.9, we are told, Do not cease to pray for one another, and pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and in understanding. I want you to know there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge can produce wisdom. But knowledge in and of itself does not guarantee you'll be a wise person. Wisdom is taking the knowledge of God and God's word and applying it to your life. Just because you're a knowledgeable person doesn't mean you're a wise person. In July of 2006, for example, the world-famous geneticist William French Anderson was convicted of child molestation. As the judge was before the courtroom, in the presence of all those who were in that particular trial, the attorney said, nothing about having a 176 IQ means that you have good judgment. The Bible says that fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. When we look at the book of Proverbs chapter 2, we discover that wisdom comes from the Lord. And so does common sense and understanding. God gives us advice, and he gives it to everyone who obeys him. He gives protection to those who follow him. God sees that justice is done, and he watches over everyone who is faithful to him. Oh, I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. As you're going through your life, remember what is important to you by remembering the Builder. God has designed you. God has given you a purpose. Second, seek wisdom and knowledge. And then number three, always be on the alert for evil. Now, this is a great principle to protect your family. You see, Satan doesn't want us 
or our friends or our loved ones or our family to follow Jesus. So he will do everything in his power to make sure that we follow evil instead of good. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it tells us that we are to be sober in spirit. We are to be on alert because our adversary, that devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to eliminate us. He wants to destroy us. He prowls around with opportunities to take us out. You know, Charles Manson was a notorious cult leader who also murdered brutally many people. Charles Manson was responsible for the brutal deaths of nine people in the summer of 1969. The murders were so gruesome and so sensational that Manson has been called an obsession of many people. In the summer of 2019, there was a movie that came out once upon a time in Hollywood, and as it was released, it was partly produced as a reminder of what Manson did. Some of the examples of our fascination with evil and Charles Manson and his evil is the fact that there are at least 50 books that have been written about his life. Helter Skelter, the book on his investigation and on his trial, has sold over 7 million copies. It's the best-selling true crime book of all time. When we look at the Manson family and all that was involved in his life, there's been 11 feature films, documentaries, and TV series that focus entirely on him, and he is a large part of the subjects of evil that we cover. You see, as we think about this matter of evil, we should not be focused on evil, but we must be alert to evil. I want to encourage you as you're going through your life. Charles Manson knew something about the depravity of mankind. One of the things that he liked to say was this. He would say, look straight at me and you will see yourself. Maybe one answer to the riddle of Manson and his girls is that they remind us of the ultimate unknowability of other people, even the seemingly unremarkable ones. There's a story of Little Red Riding Hood in reverse. The smiling of a young girl at a door selling Girl Scout cookies is herself the big bad wolf and may be hiding a dagger under her cloak. I want you to know that every single one of us were born in sin and born in iniquity. We must be alert to the evil not only in our society, but the evil that is within ourselves. Don't be impressed by the good things that you have done. Be aware of the evil that you have the potential of doing. That's why it's so important as followers of Christ that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are told in God's Word that if we are filled with the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's another thing that I think we've got to keep in mind as we're thinking about what impresses us. Remember the builder. God has created us. Seek knowledge and wisdom, and that will guide your life. Be on the outlook and on the alert for evil. But make sure, number four, that you follow God's directions for your life. As we follow God's directions in our homes, we will be filled with joy. The psalmist put it this way, I will meditate on your precepts and I will regard your ways. Your statues are my songs in the house of my pilgrimages. I want you to know that God has great plans for our lives and he's not trying to hide those plans from us. He puts them in his word. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
God will give us the direction that we need, but we must be in his word so that we can follow the directions of his word. There's an amazing little bird that follows his God-given homing signal. Now, it's kind of a shame that a bird may be more faithful in following God-given signals than we sometimes are. According to a blog on NPR, a small bird called the bar-tailed godwit grows up in northern Alaska. But every fall, this little bird will fly 7,000 miles to New Zealand. When the young birds mature and they begin to migrate, something is wired in them that also directs them to New Zealand. Though they are land birds and cannot fish or rest at the sea, they will cross most of the Pacific Ocean and fly all the way to New Zealand. Many of them are young and have never done this before. How they do that? Many of them have never been in the Southern Hemisphere. How can they pull this off? Never having seen Southern stars, nobody seems to know how they do this, but somehow they manage to do it. One female, dubbed E7, because that was the code on her wireless transmitter, flew 7,369 miles in eight days, nonstop. The same homing signal that guides them over the treacherous waters to New Zealand also navigates them back to their parents. As we look at humans, God has also wired us with homing signals. God has put eternity in our hearts. He has placed eternity in our hearts so that we will seek Him. God has given us this homing device within ourselves. Vance Haver would call it a God-shaped void. Oftentimes, we try to put other things in that God-shaped void, but nothing seems to fit just right. Oh, I want to encourage you today. As you think about following God's directions in your life, the more you follow those directions, the easier your path goes. The journey becomes less stressful as you follow God's word. Well, there's something else that you got to keep in mind if you want to focus on what is most important in your life. We talked about remembering the builder. We talked about seeking wisdom and knowledge. We talked about being on the alert for evil. We talked about following God's direction. I want to talk to you fifthly about keeping God's bigger picture in mind. When we think about the big picture, one of the things I've learned about driving when I was going through driver education is I was told to keep the big picture in mind. Don't just look at that car that is directly in front of you. Look at the cars as far down the road as you can possibly see. That way, if traffic suddenly stops down the road, you can prepare for it before it's too late. In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, we were reminded that God cares for us and he cares deeply for us. The psalmist also reminded us that we ought to be seeking good and that ought to be part of the bigger picture of our lives. You see, many people think that the Bible is written as a series of individual books that are unconnected stories. But if you survey the scriptures as a whole, you discover that they form one great story of redemption. From the opening of Genesis all the way to the final chapter of Revelation, this is a story of God redeeming us, God in hot pursuit of us, God giving us an opportunity to know Him. You see, the bigger picture of our lives is that God loves us unconditionally, and He wants to have a relationship with us. The bigger picture that we must always keep in mind is that God is ultimately in control. Even when things don't seem to work out the way we want them to work out, God has got everything in control. And eventually, He brings it together according to His will and according to His purposes. So always keep that bigger picture in mind. Number six, 
We must live in unity. Harmony and peace will mark a home and relationships as these desires begin to match the desires of Christ. That is really what unifies us. It's not race. It's not education. It's not level of income. What unites us is Christ. Can you imagine what the world would be like if everyone was united around Christ? Can you imagine what the church would be like if everyone was united around Christ? In Mark 3.25, it says that a house divided against itself, that house is unable to stand. I want to encourage you to focus on unity, not at the expense of truth, but realize that God wants us to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and live in unity, then we can influence the culture, having a bigger picture in mind. And that bigger picture in mind is sharing the gospel wherever we go. Well, there's a seventh thing that I think you got to keep in mind. If you want to live a life of importance and a life that is able to be a blessing to others. And number seven is you got to seek understanding. Proverbs 24 says, by wisdom, a house is built. Now we're looking at wisdom and understanding. We talked about knowledge and wisdom. Now we're talking about knowledge and understanding. Understanding establishes that house. Knowledge is what the rooms are filled with. But as we understand where God is moving, we understand that God has a picture and brings it all together. In other words, it all comes together around Christ. When we look at the opportunities to bring everything under the umbrella of Christ, then we're able to live in understanding. We look at the world through the eyes of Christ and what He is doing. Number eight, I ask God to bless every part of my life. Now, this is an an unbelievable opportunity that God has given us. As we ask God to bless us, I'm thinking about what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's a prayer that is offered. And the prayer is like this. May it please you to bless the house of your servant. I want to challenge you today to be men and women of prayer. Asking God to bless your home. Asking God to bless your church. There is something about God's people seeking God's face. Asking God's blessings to fall down and to encourage us. I think there's something else that you can do to show what you think is really important in your life. And that is to choose every day to serve the Lord. Every single day, choose to serve the Lord. No matter what the culture says, I will choose the Lord. No matter how difficult it may be, I will choose the Lord. And I've discovered when I make that choice, it becomes much easier. When I make up my mind, this is what I'm going to do. I've discovered so many times I waste energy. And this is where I waste my energy. I think about all the things that I've got to do. And then I get overwhelmed with all the things I've got to do because I have overthought all the things that I have got to do. Take one task at a time. Take one moment at a time. And as you complete that one task, God gives you enough energy to get to the next task. And as you complete these one at a time, you discover that God gives you the energy to keep on serving Him. Well, here's the 10th thing. Remember that the master of my home is the Lord, and one day he's coming back again. Make each day a day that you are looking for his return. You see, one day it's going to happen. One day the Lord is going to come back, and he's going to come back. Are you ready? In Mark chapter 13, it tells us 
that a man goes off on a journey. And as he goes off on this journey and he leaves his house, he puts people in charge. Now, this is what Jesus has done for us. He has left us. He ascended up into heaven. When he ascended up to heaven, the Holy Spirit came down. The Holy Spirit now indwells believers and empowers us, gives us the energy that we need, gives us the wisdom that we need, gives us the gifts that we need. Jesus has gone on a way on a long journey. It's a journey up to heaven. Right now, he's in heaven and he's preparing a place for us. But as he's gone, he leaves us and he says, here is the job that I have for you to do. Jesus gives this illustration in Mark chapter 13. He says, a man goes on a long journey and upon leaving his house, he puts people in charge. He puts his people in place. He gives each one a task. He tells one to be a doorkeeper, to stay alert, gives everybody a different task to do. You know, when you think about spiritual gifts, God has given each and every one of us a gift. God's given us a primary gift. And he says, I want you to use this gift to be a blessing to other people. As God is up in heaven and Jesus is up in heaven preparing that place for us, he says, I've got a job for you to do. You know, when you think about spiritual gifts, I think everybody has at least one spiritual gift. And then you have what is called secondary gifts. Now, your secondary gift will influence your primary gift. But as we are doing the work that God has called us to do, I think about the gift of teaching. You know, I was blessed to have really good teachers most of my schooling experience. I had a few that weren't so good, but I had a first grade teacher who really believed in me. I had a third grade teacher who really believed in me. Second grade teacher wasn't so great, but I had teachers throughout the years who have believed in me. They invested in me. They poured their life into my life. Now I try to invest my life in the lives of others. I said, you have a primary gift and then you have a secondary gift. Let's say that your primary gift is teaching, but your secondary gift is mercy. As a teacher who is a secondary gift of mercy, you're going to be really good with being patient with children, if that's your secondary gift, mercy. So you will be gifted in teaching little children God's word, teaching children just how much God loves them and how much God cares for them. Maybe your secondary gift as a teacher is exhortation. Then you're probably not going to be working with kids. You're probably going to be working with adults. You're going to be challenging them from God's word, how not only to understand God's word, but more importantly, how to take God's word and how to use it to give you the drive to accomplish what God has for you to accomplish. You see, God gives us in different ways. Jesus is up in heaven preparing a place for us. One day he's going to come back. And as he comes back, he's going to say, okay, what did you do with these gifts that I've given to you? I think about the parable of the talents, one of my favorite parables in the Bible. Jesus gives one man five talents, another man two talents, and the third man one talent. What does the guy with the one talent do? He goes and he buries it. He was afraid of the master, so he buries his talent. And he says of the master, I know that you're a harsh master, that you're going to reap what you haven't sown. He says, I knew there was going to be a reckoning day for me, and so I went and hid my talent. The master calls that person a fool. He calls him a foolish person because he could have put that talent in a bank and at least got interest, but he goes and he buries it, and it cannot reproduce itself. You see, the gifts that God has given us are designed to bring about a profit, designed to bring back something, to reproduce, to grow. As I look at that parable, I think about the guy that had that five talents. Not only did he double those talents, but he got the extra talent of that guy who went and hid his talents. You see, God wants us to take the gifts that we have, use them to advance his kingdom. 
and you'll discover something very unusual happen. Your gifts are not reduced, they are multiplied. They don't bless fewer people, they bless more people. I want you to know that if you are a person who is ready for God to use you in any kind of area of your life, you'll discover that He will open up doors that you never thought were possible. You know, we're coming through this coronavirus, and it's so good to be kind of at the end of this thing, and hopefully it doesn't appear again in the fall as some are predicting. But I think about General Motors and how they teamed up with a medical device company to manufacture ventilators. General Motors and Ford did something that they were not really geared to do because there was a bigger and a more important task at hand. They started producing ventilators realizing that so many people are going to need the ventilators because of the coronavirus. I think about our lives as Christians. Sometimes we have to retool and readjust so that God can use us in a different area of life. I want to encourage you to be patient in that process, realizing that when God brings somebody in your life, that He's calling you to minister to that person. He's calling you to see the bigger picture of what He's doing in that person's life. When you run into somebody, it's not a coincidence, it's not an accident, it's a divine appointment. God bringing somebody into your life so that you can be a blessing to them. Well, I hope this weekend that you will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth and that you will worship in your presence, okay? Physically worshiping God by going to church. Why don't you come and join us this Sunday, Hickory Ridge Community Church, 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.